the flight out there, I was seated behind uh, probably 10, 11, 12-year-old twins breaking wind the entire journey. And their mother sitting next to them said nothing. I'm talking like stale cheese kid farts the entire way. And mom pretended like it wasn't happening. All right, welcome to Good Guys Getting Better. I'm Christian Hanley. I'm Aline Boatwright. <laughs> and I'm John Borden. <laughs> Come on, guys. No no Santa hats today. I thought that was the idea, right? Something, That's something a really Christmassy. good point. We can, when we go to commercial break, I'll go get mine. You'll find that I'm least festive Christian. <laughs> I almost, so my son has one that's, it's like a hybrid. It's got like the um, traditional Santa hat, but also like the uh, the reindeer antlers built in too. I almost put that on for this. I, I came pretty close. Yeah, came pretty close. I think for the good of the cause, I'm glad you didn't. <laughs> it wasn't, it wasn't because I wanted to look good. You know, it was more the right. fact that like I was in bed until a few hours ago feeling like crap. <laughs> and it was like, all right, let me just like shower, make myself look somewhat presentable for this, you know? <laughs> But, but yeah so what do you guys got planned for christmas well i don't have much uh just gonna be down in in, in maryland at home you know right now as we've mentioned i'm in uh in new jersey visiting my my parents we had a uh a dinner for my mom's side of the family they like to be together on the holidays and we moved away from that uh doing it at one of my aunt's houses uh she was getting tired of having too many people over her house even though she <laughs> So uh, she posts something at a restaurant, which was nice. Got everybody out, saw some relatives I haven't seen in a while, and uh, just hung out. But uh, we'll be heading back down, uh, my son and I, uh, back to Maryland and just be home for the holiday. Nice. What about you, John? Uh, we're going to do Christmas morning here, and then we're going to go uh, check out the fam. We're going to probably go up to Philly. Nice. Uh, and then the kids are going to be with their grandparents for uh, about five days. Oh, okay. Yeah. yeah. So time to, definitely time to just chill, relax, have nothing on the calendar. The only, only obligations that we have for Chanel and I are really to each other. And then, you know, occasionally walking the puppy. I mean, what will you do with five days of quiet, though? Uh, there are quite a few things I can think of. <laughs> <laughs> we're going to go past six. <laughs> right. I, I think we're going to come up with a list of things that we're going to do okay. um, or that we might want to do from like pure leisure activities to maybe a household chore project. Mm. Uh, but I think at the top of the list is probably going to be uh, sleeping, resting. Watching yep. movies, binging a show or two that we haven't watched. You know, like we wanted to watch Ashoka, which we haven't done yet. So definitely mm. want to binge watch that. Yeah. There's a few movies. Would you say it was good? Good, yeah. Um, I, I ran through that one pretty fast. <laughs> yeah, I definitely want. The only problem that I've had with the Star Wars stuff is that, like, it 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 feels like it legitimately required homework. You know, because mm. it's like you want to get all the references and the nuances. And at this point, like I've consumed a a good portion of all of the Star Wars content that's been put out, and that's like obviously that's the movies, that's also like TV shows, one-off series, like yeah. just a lot of content. And 
maybe it's necessary, maybe it's not. But it's like when you show up to one of these shows, you know, and maybe it is a good thing. Like you have to kind of go back and do reset. But anyway, the thing about it is we also start and once if something's good, you want to keep watching it. Right. You know, right. so like we started a show last week. Uh, what is it called? It's on Apple too. I want to say it's like, uh, it's not monster. It's uh, because with an M anyway, it's a part of the King Kong universe. Mm. Wait, 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 wait. And time I, out, time out. There's a King Kong universe now, like Marvel. <laughs> That's news to me yeah. as well. Yeah, yeah it's I'm gonna look up the, the name of it. I forget what it's called. Okay. And I I didn't know. I'm looking it up now. That's got um, to with the Godzilla universe, I presume, right? Is that a new one Yeah, did I say not King Kong? Well, yeah. Well, King Kong is in the Godzilla universe. Yes. It's called Monarch. It's called Monarch. Ah. Okay. And uh it's called Monarch Legacy of Monsters. Um Okay. But anyway, like it goes into depth about, and I'm not that we're like two or three episodes in, so we're still kind of peeling back, you know, what happens. But basically, in this iteration of existence, big animals live. <laughs> big animals. Yeah, there's no other way to put it. <laughs> okay. Yeah, like they, they are outsized versions of the things that exist in the real world. Mm, right. Know, like King Kong, you know, is a gorilla. In this case, oh, is it really? I I I did not know that. Yeah, I think he's you oh. know some kind of primate, some <laughs> really big primate. Um, but anyway, I think it's a part of Skull Island. I think is where they're from. Okay. So anyway, it it's it's a it peels back the layers. But anyway, we started watching that. We definitely <laughs> want to watch you know Ashoka. From <laughs> would you say on this where they're from? Like some South Philly. They're <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, I know some gorillas from South Philly too. You know what I mean? <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, uh, there's a, yeah, that's probably it. Uh, we've got this thing, Christian. I don't know if I told you this, but I've uh, unlocked the cheat code for popcorn making. Okay, go ahead. I want to hear so, this. So this is, I actually used some of the strategy that you recommended. You remember when you and Arnell came to visit me while we were in law school? And we like watch popcorn and watch Star Trek. Anyway, you were like, yeah. yeah, man. Yeah, 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 yeah. You know, you should probably put the salt in the oil. And the, you were actually telling me a story where you did it once. So anyway. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. So we've got the right canola oil now, which mm -hmm. is buttery. It's not buttery topping. It's butterfly. Anyway, it's like, it's the basically the oil that they put in the pot at the movie theaters. Yeah. So you put it in there and then you've got, it is like a really salty salt. Mm -hmm. but anyway, you put some of that in the pot, you heat it up, you know, mm -hmm. you determine the heat by just having one or two kernels in there when it comes to pop, then you put it in, it cooks quick. It's like on medium, you know, high, low to medium, mm -hmm. high heat, you cook it and it just comes out. Like you don't need to put anything else on it. Like it is mm -hmm. fantastic. Wow. Uh, nice. I've been dabbling with a few different things myself. I'm going to have to try that, but, but I, I'm, I'm, I'm liking truffle oil, white truffle oil. And and salt, you know, just mixing that together. Yeah, that. Let's put five dollars in the d bag jar for that truffle oil on uh, popcorn. Yeah. <laughs> Mostly the smell. And I, look, I, I like <laughs> truffle oil as much as the next person. I just, I, I, I don't know. I'll take your word for it, Aline. You can. Uh, I'll come to your house so you can make it. I've actually, Although, actually, when your kids were over one time, I think uh, I think I gave that to them. <laughs> <laughs> Salt or butter. 
<laughs> and I, I think, I, yeah. So, yeah. Is that? I think they came back speaking with a British accent after that visit. <laughs> I'm like, what's wrong with you? And they're like, I don't know. It just it feels right, Daddy. <laughs> have you heard though that apparently, apparently, um, there is a phenomenon where a bunch of people have reported that their kids from watching Peppa Pig have started talking in English accents. Oh my! Oh, my kids do it all the time. Really? Uh, all the time. Like <laughs> That's now hilarious. it's just a part of like how they like they just say certain words they were only trying to say with either, and it and Bluey is in there too. So it's either a British accent uh, okay. or it's the Australian okay. accent. Okay. Um, oh. oh. Actually, you know what? My son watches uh, the Investigators on Netflix, mm-hmm. and that's Australian too. So he'll he'll come and like ask me for a snack in a in a fake Aussie voice. I hey, have a snack, mate. Yeah, you know, really, yeah, he does that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. All right, Dad, can I have some uh, some pretzels here? You're like, okay, okay. this is this is happening. Uh, no, <laughs> you talk uh, normal. <laughs> you talk that normal American, please. <laughs> oh man now i gotta tell you guys you, i am was that what about you what are your your plans so plans were kind of up in the air because i had done that uh round trip drive um for thanksgiving with my son and for christmas you know he's with his mom so i don't have him for for the holiday so um i was like i don't want to travel you know by myself to like have someone take care of the dogs and make those plans and then like either fly to see family or drive i mean there's just there's no easy way to get up and down the east coast really anywhere it's just it's going to be a hassle no matter what um and so i was debating it and then i'm like i don't want to stay home by myself either and then what really sealed the deal was um you know my son will be at at his mom's house but then his cousins are coming to town as well so i'm like well then that that does it i'll just go and see them visit for the day and then you know have like the Christmas time, kids opening presents, all that good stuff, and then I can come home to my own house where it'll be quiet and I'm not doing cleanup. Mm-hmm. So, and I'm not driving out of state or flying or going going to the airport or anything like that. Um, although I did just get a phone call from Arnell, um, what was it, two days ago or maybe yesterday? Um, and one of his cousins does want me to make ribs for Christmas. I don't know. It's a lot of work. Well, I, I first off, it's interesting. I'm excited about, um, not oddly. I'm ex- I'm torn. Yeah. So the last couple of years, I've like the standing rib roast has been, and like Aleem and his family have spent the last couple of Christmases with us. But the standing mm. rib roast is like just that thing. Like I would have purchased it this weekend. Yeah. And you know you or maybe I purchased it early next week. It, I mean I still may do it. Unlikely, but. But then, you know, like for me, it's like a couple of days process. Yeah, you know, oh, it is. But it's like, and you know, there's only one other person that I know that makes a standing rib roast that I like. Um, but like, to me, it's the thing that you should have for, like it's the only meat that you need for Christmas. Yeah. You know, like the first year when I made it, I'll leave you right there. Like, I didn't even know how to cut it. Yeah. You know, like, thank God you were there. We figured it out. <laughs> but I didn't think I was going to have enough food. <laughs> you know, so I think I had the standing rib roast. I might have had a rack or two of ribs. And we might have had like one more thing. We might have had steak. I don't remember. Mm-hmm. But I was convinced that we were not going to have enough food. And then come to find out the standing rib roast is all you need. You don't need anything else with that. Yeah. Because it's like so, uh, it's just so much to it. Yeah. You know, like it is so yeah. filling. Yeah. Uh, but, uh, and then of course, I mean, I love ribs. 
you know, anyway, I'm, I, I'm looking, f- there's a part of me that's looking forward to not having to do anything. And my mom is going to be captaining mm. the cooking. So it's just okay. like, you know, I'm in good hands. Yeah. Um, but like, there's something to be said. I mean, I'm so used to cooking now for holidays that the idea of not doing it is going to be a little, little weird. I told you about the time, what was it, maybe Christmas five years ago when I was commandeered to do the cooking? Did I tell you about this? Where? My mother's house? Uh, yes. I think you, <laughs> you, uh, I forget what your parents, your mom rather asked you to make that was like something you might not have made before. And the only oh, thing no, I remember it, is you. It, 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 it was ridiculous. It, yeah. it's, no, no, no. What was your recollection? I, I want to hear this. Was it, it wasn't beef bourguignon, was it? No, it was. Yeah, it yeah. was, it was Julia Child's beef bourguignon, which takes about. Yeah eight hours to make because Mm -hmm. it's you cook every not every single thing but almost every single ingredient separately Mm -hmm. and then you put it all together to simmer down but you can't just like it it isn't like a crock pot recipe put everything in put the heat on and leave it you're like taking the pearl onions browning them in butter setting aside getting the meat tenderizing it browning it flour getting that that that, you know texture setting i mean Every single thing is like that, and then you combine it and then bake it. So I think between like prep, cooking, letting it like simmer, and then clean up, it was easily six to eight hours. Mm-hmm. The funny thing was, so I mean, like that was in some ways it was an honor, right? Like my my mom and brother had been going through cookbooks and figuring out like what should be the main Christmas dish, and then they picked like their favorite, like their top choice, and then you know they're like, who can make in a me being chosen was, you know, somewhat of an honor. But what got me was later that evening, um, one of our friends from law school who lives up north now uh, drove oh. up. Uh, do you know? No, 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 no. <laughs> okay. Lives lives in Hartford, Connecticut. And okay. so I'm going to have to, like, bleep all this out. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but th- this person's a public official now. Um, and so, um, so yeah, so he drove up and came to visit on Christmas night and I kid you not, we, we like, they come into the house, everyone like says, hello, whatever. My mom comes downstairs and is like, says hi to everybody and goes, I'm so sorry. I'm just so exhausted from everything today. I'm going to go crash. You guys can hang out. I would stay with you and like socialize, but I'm just really tired from today. I'm like, who's tired from doing everything today like what is this is this happening i was in there i'm like my eyes are sagging i'm all like flushed i've been over the stove in the oven for like eight hours <laughs> yeah that's the thing I mean, about it came cooking. out good but <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> but so yeah no this this christmas should be a little bit more more tame you know it's funny because i think for me it's i i like to do the cooking you know that i love cooking um what i really don't like doing this time of year especially i mean i i'm tired of it in general but especially in the winter is travel i just i have no interest i mean there are times you can go up north in in the winter and you know you get lucky it's fine other times you get there and then a snowstorm hits and you're like, great. I, like, what do I do? You know? Um, and it's just, that's to me, it's, that's more stress and, and work than, than being the host even, you know, I just don't feel like doing well, it. I think that, and this maybe segues into one of our questions about traditions, but I think, you know, with adequate planning, 
this this probably touches on a few things we want to talk about, but I think if you're going north with adequate planning, and as we talked about in the last pod that we were all together, can you go somewhere and just, if you were stuck there, can you unwind? Are you going to be looking for things to do to kind of um, rationalize that nonstop motor? Yeah. You know, or can you just let the, the battery die in that motor and just relax and chill? And like, there's an element of task that is required in that. Like, you just can't like turn off the, like you turn off your computer and just go home. Yeah. Like you need to, in a structured way, unwind and decompress, you know? So you're not like, well, I gotta be doing something. What can I do? And I can tell you, I'm taking off, like, I'm gonna be out of work for like 13 days, you know, like, Mm. you know, taking off starting Friday, all the week of Christmas. And then two days into the first, uh, two, two day, the first two work days. I mean, January 1st is whatever's holiday, but I'm not going back till the Mm -hmm. third. Yeah. But like, I've discovered like, you know, that's a good enough time to just, you know, like just shut it down. Yeah. Just chill. Cause you know, you got it just like when you go on vacation, like you need that day or so to just like sleep, you know, whatever it is, catch up, do nothing, have no obligations, turn off your phones, which is fun for me. And then just like, yo, I'm, I'm really going all into this relaxation and, and, um, what what is it? Uh, kind of uh, just unplugging, literally unplugging. Yeah, like you got to do it. I mean, I I think I think if trains were more available, that make a huge difference, honestly. Yeah, because you know, like if, if you're stuck in like a huge blizzard, fine, that will stop anything. But like at least if there's like some inclement weather or trains and it keep doing its thing, and if not, then you know it gets canceled. Whatever, it's fine. It's when you're dealing with like driving or flying, it's just it's it gets messy really fast. And you know, to your point about like if you're stuck in a place, can you relax there? Yeah, I mean that that would be great. But for me, it's not even about that. It's the fact that what, what it came down to was and making the decision about the holidays was do I want to be out of state when my son is here doing Christmas? And it's like, no, of course not. Like, you know, it's, if we're being honest, Christmas for the most part centers around kids, Yeah, you know, like 4th of July centers around dads. Let's be real. It is <laughs> like, it is like beer and meat and blowing stuff up. Right. <laughs> like it is, that is like dads in our element. Um, you know, Christmas, though, I, I don't want to be away from my kid when he's doing, like, his, you know, the surprise and opening presents and, you know, all of that stuff. So, for no. me, that was the real, that was the real deciding factor. No, I follow Do you it. guys have a limit on how long you drive to a particular place? I, I like, do. I know some people, they won't be in a car more than four hours. Well, ironically, hmm. that's what I was going to... Or drive. That, that, was, that was sort of what I was going to des- describe, was that, you know, for you, Christian, you're going quite a bit further than, for example, for that I'm going, and, or John would have Yeah. To- we're going to a region that's within three and a half, four hours tops. Yeah. And yeah. You're going probably at six. My limit, you know, sort of qualitatively has been like, I don't want to drive anywhere that's over five, over six hours. I, you know, that, so Buffalo, where, where my wife is from, I'll go there. Um, but anywhere too much further than that, I try to avoid. But I have driven back and forth to Florida the whole time. Um, I used to do that with mm. all the time growing up. So it's not like unusual, but understanding what, what from what you just described i completely understand i would not want to be away from yeah aisle for that extended period of time and have the potential of being struck stuck there stranded there that that's just what wouldn't work for me either uh so yeah, yeah. i'll take him wherever you know <laughs> as long as i can bring him with us you know you know we're, we're we're good i'll go wherever but 
Uh, but yeah, I mean, I think what, what might have like also colored my opinion too is like last night wrapping presents. I also rewatched Planes, Trains, and Automobiles. Mm. So, <laughs> yeah, I, I don't want. I'm like, no, no, I'll just I'll I'll stay put. <laughs> yeah, no. It's, if it, you guys, yeah, if you guys had a, a chance to be away, if you had a choice, you could be away from home mm-hmm. in a really nice place, no cost, with your kid mm-hmm. or without your kid. Or you could be at home with your kid. Mm-hmm. Where would you rather choose? Or let me let me do that. Where would you where would you rather relax? Like if you've got, you know, downtime is coming. Mm-hmm. Would you rather relax away from home or at home? Uh, that's a good question. I think it's it's yeah. split. I mean, there's always a period where. See, I, I I legitimately feel home two places. Right, I feel home in in at home. Mm-hmm the home that I own in Maryland and also at home in New Jersey where I grew up, I feel both of those places. Yeah. Are so I don't, I don't, I miss both of them to an extent. Mm-hmm. That's depending on the, the, the stage of life or, or emotional state I may be in. I may be craving uh, New Jersey more so than Maryland simply because of there's, there's a, a nostalgia there. There's a, a, a memory there of the simpler times, you know, <laughs> those type of things. Yeah. But, uh, but yeah, so as far as, um, I think um, any either of those two places, I'm good. Either yeah. being there, but you know, so away is less desirable for a long, certainly for a long period of time. I think for me, it depends on where the away is, right? Like if it's some place that it's going to be, like for example, for for this time of year, if we were to like rent a place, it's like you know going to be beautiful like out in the mountains enjoy some snow some scenery then like yeah that's a that's a thing to go and enjoy and have that be part of the relaxation the experience all of that but i mean i don't know I, the funny thing is is that i i'm kind of a, a combo right I, I love to like be somewhere new and, and experience something and i i love foreign languages as you know and all of that but i also love being home and then my son is just that latter half. Like he's just homebody. Like if, if you ask him on a Saturday, what do you want to do? More than nine times out of ten, he wants to be in the neighborhood, seeing his friends, and then coming back to his own house. He doesn't want to go places. He wants like he he feels very rooted where we are, mm-hmm. which is a, a, a good amazing thing in a lot of respects. I don't think I recall having that same sort of sense of community and connection at that young of an age that he does now. So I think for us being together, it would be preferable to be home. But, you know, it depends on where you're going to go, honestly. I mean, some places are great to visit for a little while and you get very sick of them. Some places, you know, you could stay forever. But I think if it's a father-son thing, I think I might like going somewhere. But I know that after, I don't know, a few days, he'd be begging to come back here and see his friends. I mean, even going to my mother's house, um, what was it, this past summer? <clears throat> we went and um when his cousins got busy with their because they live in that area and right like in that same neighborhood um when they got busy with their you know dance recital their school their not school play it was summertime whatever else they were they were into their extracurriculars after i think a day of that he turned to me he's like i'm homesick like those were literally his words like, i want to go home and be with kids my own age you know so mm-hmm. that's kind of his preference yeah, I think my son is the same way. Yeah, you know, like he likes the adventure, but you know, for him, there's something special about being home. Right. You know, it's just like it's where your things are. It's not just it's where your things are. 
you know, like it's the place I think where you can be the most safe, the most vulnerable. Right. You know, like you, it is truly an escape. And it's something that as I've gotten older, I've started to appreciate, you know, like I know conceptually, you know, maybe like in my thirties that, Oh, I definitely want like an escape. Mm-hmm. Um, to have your home feel like it's an escape and it's a retreat. Like it's just a safe place. Mm-hmm. Uh, that has developed. And I always kind of like that. Like, I think there's just a natural desire to be rooted, yeah. you know, and really depends on, you know, again, the stages of your life, how long that tether is from home. Yeah. You know, which is also kind of the great lesson from Frankenstein too. Mm. Um, which if, if you guys haven't, if our listeners haven't read, uh, it is Mary Shelley. I mean, it's, it's, it's obvious that that's just a masterclass and, and, uh, fiction from that era, but also just, I think for history, but, you know, truly a story about how being untethered from home, yeah. um, the impact they can have on you. Yeah. But it's something yeah. I appreciate. It is interesting too, because I, I went through, it wasn't even a phase. It was a whole part of life when I really wanted to travel. Um, mm-hmm. you know, I lived in France when I was very young without my family and studied there when I was even a minor, I was 16, um, and loved going to other places and experiencing different cultures. I mean, not tourism, but actually immersion. Yeah. Like, let's go, yeah. let's, let's go be very uncomfortable. Let's be deliberately uncomfortable and learn through that. And that, that lasted years and I loved it and wanted to explore. And then as I got older, I think it was a natural part of just getting older, um, really craved that sense of home. And then now that I have that, you know, I've had one or two people kind of, I don't want to say make digs at my expense, but you know, almost kind of about wanting to be home. And it's like, okay, but when I was growing up, I didn't always feel safe at home. Right. Honestly. Um, my home is not opulent. It's not the biggest thing in the world, but God damn it. I worked hard for it and it's mine. Mm-hmm. And I've like you know this, John. You you've seen in great detail um how much I've, you know, made it my own with my own hands, my own two hands, like changing things and, and making it mine. It's like, well, yeah, this isn't like a crash pad. It's like I want I'm not trying to like isolate or be boring. It's this is a space I've created that I want to be in. You know? What what kind of steps do you go to or do you kind of intentionally create a space in your home where it is like relaxing. You know, like mm. you said, it's not a crash pad. Like yeah. does it go between kind of customizing it to what you want beyond that into a place that is actively a place of relaxation and um, respite? Like, do you take it that far? Or is it just like, no, I'm going to make it what I want. I mean, it, it's, I think it's all the above. I mean, that's certainly true with my bedroom. When I, when I first got divorced and, and moved in here, um, at first everything was about getting, you know, the kitchen space, like the bathrooms, like, you know, the places that you had to like functionally use all the time, getting them in order and also getting my son's room together for him to like where he was. And then I had a a friend or actually a couple of friends from high school who said to me like, no, you need to actually take care of yourself as well and work on your own bedroom in your own space. And so, you know, they're right now I'm in my home office. It's got a certain feel to it. But then my bedroom in particular, when you talk about everything from like the curtains to the the color scheme to the, the everything in it, it is meant to like when I go in there, I'm like, OK, like nothing is going to bother me. That's how that's set up. What about you, Aline? I know that you and you and your wife have made 
some pretty uh, cash intensive upgrades to your house in the last year. <laughs> oh, really? Really? <laughs> yeah, we had uh, the the million dollar uh, floor put in. Um, mm-hmm. That was a whole story in itself. So, uh, yeah, but uh, no, I, I, you know, you know, it, it, it's you know, home feels it it, it feels home because of, because of the the time we spent there and the, the things that have happened there and, and the investments we've made in it um, add to that feeling, right? So, you know, it, 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 there's warmth there. It makes us feel like that's where we want to be. Um, yeah. I was listening to, you know, you talk about uh, Davis and, and, and Ronan and how they, they're homebodies. My, my son pretty much is the same way as your two sons are, but um, at the same time, he does enjoy going on trips as well, but he, he, he craves to get as well, so. Yeah. 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 Davis, Davis is definitely down for an adventure. Uh, I mean, like, you know, like that really. And as long as he can kind of have his creature comforts there, Mm -hmm. like he's down to explore, but I think he does get to a threshold and it might be a couple of days. And then he's like, I'm ready to go home. Like, this is good. I'm ready to go home. This is is better than good. This was awesome. I'm ready to go home. (laughs) It's funny because our our vacation from this past August, um, well, I, I should be clear, it, it wasn't really a vacation for me. It was a vacation for my son. I was by no <laughs> means off duty. And I was an idiot and thought, oh, I'll rent a place that's dog friendly. And I brought the dogs too. And within 10 minutes of us arriving, we agreed on one thing, which was next time we're not bringing the dogs. Because <laughs> um, <laughs> I was, yeah, it, it was too much stress. But um now, ever since then, since this past August, he won't, he just keeps talking about going back to that same place because there was all this kid stuff there. There was a water park on this hilltop. Mm. It had like these like state of the art, like apparently. So here's the crazy thing is that, um, and forgive me if I'm, I'm repeating myself here, but this water park we went to, like he researched it ahead of time, not researched, but like he knew about it ahead of time because he's on YouTube and follows certain like kid YouTubers mm-hmm. who that's all they do is they go to like, um, you know, Florida, California, like Thailand, like all these different tourist spots that have these giant water parks. And this one just happened to be in, uh, in East Tennessee. And, you know, so like when we get there, he's like, "Oh, I already know we're gonna go to this place and do." And I'm like, "Oh, like, funny. You're, you're eight, but okay." Like somehow he he researches more than I had, um, and and now still he's like, "Okay, so next summer when we go there," and I'm like, "Whoa, whoa, whoa, whoa. like <laughs> I might want to do something completely different next summer." What do you mean we're gonna go back to the same place again? Well, I want to go and do this slide next time, and I'm like, uh, "Okay, well, we'll see." Well, one final thought on that as it pertains to. Actually, another question, Christian, you described what I, uh, I mean, I didn't coin the phrase, but you mm. described getting the travel bug. Like there's, yeah, yeah. there's something like once you get past kind of that, 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 that challenge wall, you know, yeah. when you're in a new place and you're not there to be a tourist because, you know, tourism is clearly a guided path. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, but when you are trying to understand the construction of the path, you know, like it hits a little bit different. And then once you do that, mm-hmm. you realize like, oh, I could do this anywhere. So at what at what point did you kind of break through that wall? And then, like, how did you feed it? You know, like, did you, after you lived and studied, mm-hmm. you know, by yourself, picked up a new language, like, what mm-hmm. did it feel like? What was it like? Like, what was your travel bug experience like? I mean, it's hard to put in just to, in, in words, especially in a in this kind of format, but it's... 
it it's something that lasts beyond the experience itself. I mean, it's informed so much of who I am as a person, my career, my relationships, my friendships. Like there there are people that who who I didn't know at that time who I've met since who I never would have met or been friends with. Excuse me, had I not had that experience. And I, I really did want to not just have those experiences then, but then perpetuate them, like add to them, go and do related things and, and do more and learn more. And really what, what stopped me was, was money, honestly. Yeah. Um, you know, the, my family didn't have any. <laughs> and <laughs> that, that, um, that experience I had had was on a scholarship. And so I had tried to not replicate, but go in, and do more uh, similar experiences. And, you know, I, I did some a little bit, but not not to that same extent. Um, but but still, in in a lot of ways, I, I continue a lot of the the learning that I, I began, even if I'm not leaving my home office. I mean, it's it, it does reach into all different parts of who I am as a person. I think though that after being in survival mode after that and dealing with my family's stuff and just a lack of finances and all of that really i think that does play into that transition i spoke to which was just the okay i want to have like home i want to feel safe and like not have to feel like i'm you know always trying like i'm always on the run kind of thing and that isn't to say that that won't flip back again another time i mean i i really i think i i used to feel as though okay like that is done chapter closed like that will not happen again to like no like i've i had that I had the survival mode. I had the young parent of a small child mode. Now I'm not as young anymore. My kid is not a baby anymore. I have the home now. You know, maybe next year, the year after, it's going back to having that travel bug in a different way, still having an actual home of my own, having a foothold here. Uh, but but having not the exact same experience. It's not, I'm not in my formative years anymore, but I still think that there's that opportunity for lifelong learning. They can build upon what I learned when I was younger. How long are you trying to stay to satisfy that travel book? How long are you trying to stay at the place you go? Oh, I don't know. I, I, is there a because it's because no, because it, it's so different. Like if you're talking about a vacation versus an immersive experience versus working, I mean, there are people who their jobs take them to a place for a few years at a time. Other people who they they go on tours for their jobs, or they you know not tours, but like have to go and do a whole a series of of trips i i i'm not i'm not sure it's i'm not always sure it has to do with duration unless you're talking about a certain mission like like language immersion where you really your brain needs a certain amounts of time to be able to to um uh complete that not task but actually have that uh really profound experience i'm not sure it it comes down to anything as simple as duration and and one thing I will say though, like to to repeat myself, is it, it's if you're going for that sort of experience where you're learning, it, part of it needs to be discomfort, embarrassment, hassle. Like you you need to be going into it, like going into a storm, knowing that you are you're not going on a cruise, you're not going to the beach, you're going to question your assumptions about the world. You're going to question your assumptions about other people, and and part of that you you. People, I think, look at it as as the destination, like, oh, you're going to go and do this, and therefore you will have learned that. But they don't think about like the the route to get there is is through a whole lot of um, uh, experiences that in, that you know require a lot of growth on your part. 
So, excuse me. Yeah, I I find just on that note, work travel is its own category. Like you know, yeah. when you when you yeah. travel for work, like I don't anticipate at this point. Like the journey has to be in order to satisfy some of that. The journey has to be excuse me. The destination has to be fantastic because mm-hmm. the journey and traveling, unless you're paying for business class or first right. class, you know, like the journey itself is it's not pleasant. <laughs> you know, like there's going to an airport, getting especially with the way that flights are now, where unless you pay for that extra space, quote unquote, extra space, you're going to be packed with people, you know, like the terminals are overrun. Like there's so many mm-hmm. reasons that make travel unpleasant. Oh, did I tell you about my, uh, my, my, uh, Vegas trip for work? <laughs> I think you might've mentioned that. Yeah. So a couple months ago, I mean, I've, I've done other trips for work since, but that one stands out as being like, th- this was like a Seinfeld episode. I mean, it, it, it was, so comically messed up. I mean, I first of all, everyone hears that I'm going to go, and they're like, "Oh man, Vegas!" I'm like, "Okay, no, <laughs> not a huge fan of flying. I don't gamble. I don't go to like. It, there's nothing in Vegas I need. I, I there's I have no need to go to Vegas. I I can food. get sunburnt under these under these lights. You got Would you say Lee? the good food? That there is some there. There's plenty of it. You just got to find it. That's what I heard. Okay, okay, fair <laughs> enough. Fair enough. Uh, but you know what I mean? Like people are like, oh yeah, Sin City. I'm like, okay, well, I I don't do strip T shows or gambling. Like, I, I, what am I gonna? I, I, there's no interest for me there, right? Or luxury uh, shopping. <laughs> yeah, oh, there was a lot of that too. Yeah. Um, and frankly, a lot of people doing luxury shopping here, you're like, ah, I'm not sure that's the best use of your <laughs> limited funds. Um, to be frank. But uh, anyway, so I I go, and it was because I we got this company-wide email like hey can somebody you know somebody got sick or something happened right there was they we were a person short so i'm like all right forget it i'll go and do it i'll, I'll pull the short straw I, I kid you not every single step of the way from the time i left my home until i got back home was just absolutely i mean the flight out there i was seated behind uh probably 10 11 12 year old twins breaking wind the entire journey and their mother sitting next to them said nothing. I'm talking like stale cheese kid farts the entire way. And mom pretended like it wasn't happening. Meanwhile, I'm, I get put into the um, middle seat in my row. That's four hours of and breaking wind, by the way. It, was that? That's four hours of breaking wind. Just, that's, that's, oh, yeah. No, seriously. Yeah. No, literally. Uh, I, I get put in the middle, but you know, nobody wants the middle, but it, it happened. Then I get asked to move. Like, can you go take the window? And usually you're like, all right, fine, whatever. That'd be great. But it was because there was a tour group and none of them spoke English and wanted to all sit together. Somebody's going to come up to my row and w- they would all sit together and I'd be like odd man out off to the side. And, and I say, okay, fine, whatever. Yeah, go ahead, sit together. I move. I'm thinking I'm going to be nice. As soon as I do that, all of them seated around me, start taking off their shoes and socks and putting their smelly feet up. So I've got feet all around me to my right and then kids farting in my face from right in front of me. And that was the entire flight to this work trip. Wow. Um, That's precisely the point that I'm making. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, To go to it. And like, to your point, if it had been a great destination, okay, I will suck it up for five hours. You know what I mean? But like to go somewhere that I don't even have any interest. in. Yeah. 
I mean, I, my 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 trips, my work trips. I've been traveling for work for you know, probably the better part of the what, twelve thirteen years now, and mm-hmm. and the the places that I, that I have to go aren't generally known as uh, tourist destinations. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> just to, just to very quickly address that, but you know, I've always felt excited to go different these different places, not just because. Uh, excuse me, not because they were tourist destinations, because they were they were not, but because they were just places that I don't spend time, and they're so drastically different than what places I do spend most of my time. So yeah, you know, I, you know but but to your and John's point, um, traveling in and of itself has become such a drag, for lack of a better. Yeah, time. and I used to get off the plane, and a couple of days later, I have a cold every time. You know, <laughs> like, oh yeah, that was that was the worst part. You know, and it's like, uh, you know, I, 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 my trips were generally about a week. That's, you know, but I've mm-hmm. had the, the opportunity, <laughs> some might call it, not call it opportunity, some might call it punishment, but to spend <laughs> several weeks at, a, at particular locations that I've gone. But I always find, an opp- I find, you know, something to be, to ha- to catch my interest. And and one yeah. thing about it, and, and you, you might, you might, this might resonate with you a bit, Christian, is that I love nature, you know, like, and so the yes. places that Same. I do go, Though they're not tourist destinations, generally they have they're very nearby places that are beautiful or exotic or different uh, uh, geography, right? Um, yeah, geographical uh, uh, elements to them. So that's why I get I I got I've gotten a lot out of that, I guess you know. Um, but yeah, but yeah, there, you know, after a while it does get redundant. It gets redundant for some, but to me, just being able to you know be in you know low populated areas that are beautiful uh right cold you know sometimes it's cold you know but just that that's always a night that's a refreshing week you know out away from setting aside yeah time away from my family which is not the desire the less desirable part of it but you know i i used to want to have them come visit me when i was in these places and there was some reluctance uh like why do i want to go there so i understood like okay well all right you're not going to come visit me okay fine but (laughs) you you got an interesting take on travel so i i know that the three of us i guess over the years we've been trying to plan a trip to martha's vineyard uh which i have yet to see a solution that makes sense (laughs) Uh, primarily because it seems like the times that we want to go, the threshold would be about $20,000 a week for a house <laughs> that would physically house everyone, but not comfortable. Jeez. Yeah. I mean, it's just like, unless you're kind of, you know, the best thing you can do is maybe get, you know, separate homes, you know, and that way yeah. you can just have, but it's, it's expensive. But anyway, I think when we first had this conversation, Aleem, you were like, okay, great. Never been to Martha's Vineyard, but where else can we go? Once we get to Martha's Vineyard <laughs> and it's like, you know, bruv, I hate to tell you, but uh, it's an island that requires either a ferry or a plane to get to. Yeah. Uh, but he's like, all right, well, you know, can we go north? You know, can we go like what else is around there? And like that defeats the point, Aline. <laughs> like the whole point. I wasn't getting it. Is, right? <laughs> he's not getting it's it. It's like, no, nah, man. And plus, once you make that trip to the ferry, like you're good. Like you don't want to do any more. Mm-hmm. You don't want to do any more driving. You know, especially coming from here. I mean, you're talking, you know, Woods Hole from here is probably about eight hours. Wow. If you hit zero traffic the entire <laughs> way. Correct. Easily. Yeah. I mean, one one car accident in Delaware, it could be pushed it to 12 hours. I mean, it's 
Yeah. <laughs> it I, don't depends, the, yeah. I don't even mind the car accident in Delaware. I mind the car accident anywhere between like exit 15 and Connecticut. <laughs> like that's, that's oh. the real problem. And yeah. that's what you, you yeah. got to avoid that. Up in that area for sure. No, one, one example of just, just how, how I, I travel. So one of these trips that I went on for, for work, I went out, and this mm-hmm. is actually going back before I was in the current job I'm in, but it was out in eastern Washington State, right? About a four-hour trip from Seattle. Well, I woke okay. up, you know, I, I, I squandered my Saturday, so I woke up Sunday morning, you know, because I had to be back at work on Monday, right? So I said, all mm-hmm. right, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go visit Seattle. I hopped in the car, drove to Seattle, um, didn't take White Pass, right? Uh, so I don't know if anybody's familiar with that region, but I drove, you know, drove the, mm-hmm. the, the highway out there. Went all the way into Seattle. Drove around Seattle, never never stopped stopping the car. Got on a ferry, drove you know that went to Bremerton. Drove off the ferry in Bremerton. Drove a loop through Bremerton back onto the ferry. Got on the ferry, went back into Seattle, and drove back to to Eastern Washington State. Seven hundred and fifty miles, and I think I might have I got gas. So I think that was about it. But I I got off. You know I took pictures out of the car window. I drove through White yeah. Pass on you know on the on the way. Actually, I did drop through White Pass on the way there, and I took pictures because you go up in the mountains. White Pass is the mm. the sort of a, a range of mountains through where, that where Mount Rainier is. You know, I was like, I gotta see Mount. Oh, Rainier. oh, okay. So yeah, and and so you you hit Mount Rainier, and I woke, drove up to the mountains and took pictures while it was snowing, and came down out the mountains, went to Seattle. So it was all. I felt I felt like that that whole whatever eight or nine hour trip, whatever it was, was like. That was my vacation. <laughs> I, yeah. I enjoyed it. I, I had rented a Cadillac DeVille at the time. I remember it was 2003. So, yeah, that was just home. But see, that's, that's the difference, though. Like, if you're if you're uh, just going for a drive by yourself versus yeah. being stuck in an airplane, being in a car full of kids who are, you know, impatient. I mean, that's 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 different, though, I feel, yeah. you know, like that. You can you can make a thing out of that when you're just going solo, sure. right? Yeah. Yep. But I wouldn't have had a chance to do that if not for a work trip. I guess that's the whole point. It was all part of a work trip. Yeah. Yeah. Fair well, enough. I, I actually like that. See, there's a strategy to work trips. You know, like work trips are very much like watching uh, movies on a plane. Like a lot of these hmm. trips that maybe you wouldn't go to, they're interesting enough, but you're not going to spend you know, your effort and your energy doing it. But, you know, if the opportunity presents itself and it's low cost, low risk, you do it. Mm-hmm. I feel it's like yeah. the same way with work trips. Cause right now all of my work trips are domestic. Yeah. You know, so it's like, you know, I'm going to go to a new city cause I want to see a new city. Like this is great. You know, and yeah. you can, you just feel a little bit more open to just cause you know, it, it is a work experience and not like your own leisure experience. So I guess I get that with that. Suddenly yeah. my driving, Nine hours. <laughs> I'm, hey, I'm good on that. I was I was young. <laughs> I, I, but well, yeah, but there makes... is something to be said though, like your your analogy to uh to the the in flight movie. I yeah. think there's something to be said for uh just rolling the dice, like not not being not doing something, watching something, going somewhere that is necessarily of your choosing. Because we all do it. We kind of get caught in our own ruts. We just go for like what we already know. I mean, yeah, you want to find some place that's maybe new, but it's new, but you're choosing it based off what you already know you like. Uh, You know, one thing that I really enjoy doing, and I I forgot about it over the pandemic until uh, I went to a friend's house last month for dinner, was just having someone else like pick the movie. 
and that sounds really small and stupid, but I mean, if I'm at home by myself, I'm picking something. If my son is here and we're having time together, of course, he's picking something. But to have some other peer, some other adult, just be like, you know, have you tried this and get exposed to something that you never would have had you just been, you know, been behind the wheel yourself with travel it's it's that times a hundred i mean you know my my example of the this recent work trip that was vegas is a terrible example of that i mean everyone knows about vegas right but just that idea of well okay here you are in whatever spokane mm. right like here's the keys to the rental car figure it out yeah. i mean would you have even learned about this white pass or going out to puget sound or whatever had you not had that just happen exactly you know yeah I wouldn't have. Uh, I, yeah, I, I had to explore it. I was forced to forced into finding right, right to, to entertain myself. Well, speaking of work stuff, uh, John, you sent us a story on Instagram about uh, someone who got a really great job offer. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so it, I, you know, it's very interesting, and I think there are actually multiple layers to it. But um, I'm going to say his name wrong. But at any rate, uh, it's a, the Dodgers pitcher, and uh, and apparently he's two-time MVP, recently traded to the Dodgers, um, Otani. Otani. Uh, Otani, yeah, Otani. Yeah. And anyway, he was given a fully guaranteed 10-year, $700 million contract. Um, it is the largest such contract uh, on the field contract, I think, for a team sport. Like, there isn't mm. an equivalent to it. Uh, and when it was initially reported, I mean, you can do the math. It's 10 years, $70 million a year. My first reaction was, who's this? Like, up <laughs> right. until the <laughs> I, had, right. I had not heard of this person. Like, right. I saw right. earlier in the week some reporting, like, look, you know, he's going to get a contract. It's going to be a big day. But I was like, okay. Hmm. And I generally don't pay that much attention to baseball that isn't the Phillies. Mm. You know, like, I don't, I just, I don't have the bandwidth to commit to baseball. Yeah. Um, part of it is because my career is in sports, so like I live it and breathe it. Ninety games a year, I think. So. <laughs> yeah, and they play a, a hundred and what is it, a hundred and sixty-two games, something like that, a year. <laughs> yeah, like it's a lot of baseball games, and there isn't to me there isn't a clear distinction between the playoffs in terms of format and just a regular. Like it's all a series. Yeah. You know? So it's just like you know everything feels like the playoffs. The other problem with the baseball is that the first, I'm going to say the first games start in like mm -hmm. February, like their equivalent of preseason, like spring training. And that feels like that gets earlier and earlier every year. So, you know, so you got spring training and then by June, you know, you're maybe two, two and a half months into the season, you know, whether or not your team is going to make the playoffs, like mm -hmm. without a question, because so few teams relatively it's not even so few teams, relatively speaking, make it, but it's just like you have so many games and like, you know, your team isn't going to win a World Series by by June, <laughs> but there's still five months left in the season. <laughs> well, and there's yeah. been some, some comebacks. Those are far, few and far <laughs> in between. Sure. Like, but... And well, that's what and they baseball. call it, mathematical elimination, right? The, you might not be eliminated yet, but you can do the math and see that it's not going to work out, right? <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's I, I, like, but anyway, like, so for all of those different factors and like the viewership of 
baseball, from what I can tell, has been declining quite precipitously over the years. Yeah, bounce back it's both declining year. and it's aging. Would you say bounced back this year? So, with the chip. well, the 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 MLB also made some changes, like they put the pitching clock in. Yeah, you know, so the games that was aren't a big as long. change. Yeah, um, but I think the point was, and the general reaction was like, this guy's getting paid a lot of money, mm-hmm. and if you stack that up to other contracts. In discussions of contracts, like the biggest one is Mbappe's, you know, like he mm, was offered, yeah. I think, a little bit more. Um, it was by this, by I think one of the Saudi or the Saudi league. Um, and he ended up not taking it. And it's actually his his situation is also really weird because it looked like he was not going to sign with PSG. It looked like he might be going to Real Madrid. He ended up signing like a one year agreement, or his contract ends this year. But anyway, Mbappe was said to be the highest paid athlete on the planet in terms of salary for playing. Mm-hmm. Um, but anyway, Otaha, uh, o- Otani, as it turns out, his contract, basically, the bulk of it is deferred, excuse me, until the end of the agreement. You know, so he is actually going to take home $2 million a year. And the analysis was like, look, this is going to accomplish a couple of things. One, it's going to give the Dodgers the opportunity to sign more players. Um, mm-hmm. Two, um, Apparently, it has some pretty generous tax concept or tax benefits, you know. So the way, like, will, yeah. the, the way that he will cash out, and the way that I think one of the person has done it is that they will he will retire and move to one of the hypotheticals is he retires and moves to Florida, and mm-hmm. when he takes that lump sum, it's taxed on the place that tax on the place that he lives, not necessarily right. the place that he earns it, and. I think California is notorious for the for creating the jock tax, um, and even if that has no bearing on him. And if for you and for our listeners that don't know, I think this was created by the the California legislature in the '90s as a response to I think Michael Jordan basically coming and beating them, and beating the LA teams, and then spending a lot of money in LA but not having to pay tax in LA. <laughs> because I think before that. You know, athletes were taxed based on where they made their money. But what changed the jock tax is basically any money that you earn while competing here, you tax. Mm-hmm. You know, so you get taxed and, you know, you pick the number of cities. So anyway, it looks to me not only is the contract huge in a sport that's difficult for me to determine whether or not it's growing, which I don't think it is. Um, the larger question is, why would they do something like this? Like what justification could you make, thank you, darling, what justification could you make for a salary that big? You know, like I could get it in the NFL, you know, the NFL is the largest, I think it's the most profitable league, single league on the planet. You know, like it's not more profitable. I don't profitable. know, but it sounds right. Yeah. Well, it's not more profitable than the conglomeration of European soccer leagues. <laughs> yeah, but right. I think it might be more valuable than the Premier League or Bundesliga or La mm-hmm. If you obviously, if you put them together, I mean, you know, Global football is the biggest sport on the planet, like without right. question. Like it, it's just different. I think also another key piece of this is that the MLB doesn't have a salary cap in the way that other sports have it. You know, so you can have this. So the real question is, you know, was their motivation just to bring attention to it? Like, is this a strategic investment by the Dodgers to get more people to look at baseball just because they're spending so much money um, on one player that, by all accounts, seems to be very talented? Like, he's one of these few players that can play really well on both sides of the mound, as it were. Like, he's an amazing pitcher and also an amazing batter, two-time MVP. Again, 
okay, this is great. But when I saw it, I'm like, guys, what, what in the world are we doing? Like, I don't already, I, 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 and then as I thought about it more, it's like, oh, maybe this was a pretty smart strategic investment by the MLB and by the Dodgers to get more eyes to it. Um, mm. I don't like it because to me, it's not like, it's not like back in the day where you had just like, and, and, and Otani may be a really good baseball player, but like, I remember not really liking baseball and then watching Ken Griffey do what Ken Griffey did on the baseball field or Bo Jackson, you know, or even before it was all about the steroids, Sammy Sosa, Mark McGuire and, and Ken Griffey Jr. You know, like something that was just athletically outstanding. But baseball just, it doesn't seem like it really has that. Like, it just seems lost in the soul. So anyway, my question is, guys, what are your reactions to that? What do you think? Well, before I, before I, Christian jumps in, because Chris is probably most knowledgeable about current baseball. Uh, uh, no. <laughs> no. Well, I don't think so. <laughs> well, let me let me mention that. The, it's kind of you, but. <laughs> well, well you know, you've got some history there, but. But no, I, I think just through my son. That's all. <laughs> well, so 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 my thing is this: I think um, one thing you know when you see that number, that seven hundred million dollar number over ten years, you got to consider it's over ten years. Then you consider the Dodgers themselves are probably worth you know three three between three and five billion dollars. The team itself is worth today. So mm-hmm. you know each year paying him, you know. On average, if you average it out, which is not the case as we discussed, but if you average it out, it's like what is it, uh, seven seven billion a year, right, or seventy billion uh, a year, uh, seventy million a year, excuse me. Um, mm-hmm. That's that's definitely something they can afford. So that's 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 the first thing. It's not unaffordable for them, and which which mm-hmm. which for me raises the bigger concern or issue is that there's so much money in entertainment, just people yeah. playing a sport to entertain us, and that to me is not it's not a Bad thing inherently in from my perspective. It's just an unfortunate thing that there's not more money in other things that are more useful and more meaningful. But I get it. You know, we love sports. I love sports. You know, so on. So, uh, so I I understand that it, it it's not going to break the Dodgers to pay this cat this money. But at the same time, it is absurd to believe that some <laughs> player is worth that kind of uh, amount of money. But then you ask, okay, well, what individual in any job is worth that kind of right. money? And frankly, I would say no one person right. would be getting that kind of money for right. anything. So I'm not gonna I'm not gonna just knock no Otani for taking a, a huge salary. I'm gonna knock the CEO of this or the the president of that. I, they're all you know overpaid. You know, it's like nobody. But that, yeah, but that's that's also my point. Yeah, you know, like I could I could push back on that, and like you look at someone like. Lionel Messi or like Cristiano Ronaldo mm-hmm. or Roger mm-hmm. Federer, they generate so much money. Mm-hmm. Like to me, it's a lot easier to discern their value because Cristiano Ronaldo has the most Instagram followers of any one human being on the planet. <laughs> sure. Like it, I think he has something like 600 million followers. Seriously? Like, I'm not joking. You can you know, <laughs> fact check me right now, but I think it's somewhere north of 600 million followers Jeez, like he you know like he is you know very much like jordan uh, by the way i was looking at a stat jordan is still like the most for in terms of internet views is like the, still the most the fourth mo, third or fourth most popular basketball player on the planet and michael jordan hasn't played a a, a professional game in over 20 years wow. um, but at any rate like my point is i could get like if it's in a sport 
that is way in the black. And I'm not saying baseball isn't in the black, but you know, like it's a sport, mm-hmm. you know, the most popular sport on the planet, and you're the most popular and the most recognizable player in that athlete, you know, with just how much entertainment properties are worth, like I could get that. Like the Dodgers as an entertainment property are probably worth more than others, but the MLB as an entertainment property isn't nearly as valuable. I don't know this to be the case. It doesn't, it's not as appealing as the NFL. Mm. And the, obviously you mm. have, you, it's kind of like apples and spaghetti because the NFL has got a, a, a chokehold on American sports, but those guys play uh, 17 games. Mm-hmm. Like the entirety of the season is like 21, 20, 21 weeks. That's not even half the year. And that's including mm-hmm. the Super Bowl and like every possible thing. Yeah. The NBA and that far behind. And then, you know, I guess the MLB is there. But my point is, my, my larger point is that how basically by playing this guy, you were saying that there isn't a difference between him and Mbappe or him and Messi. No. Or him and Ronaldo. Well, well, see, here's the thing. That, well, the, the, that's almost like stock speculation, right? So, so it, it you you can say that because uh, Ronaldo is so popular, is evidenced by his by his social media following. Well, that's one level of of uh, analysis. But then you say, okay, well, Otani represents, uh, for one, a, a large population outside of the United States. You know, in Japan itself, where, he, where he's originally from. Which, if they if if MLB can draw those fans who are more fanatical about baseball than we are here and think it can draw more of those fans into this league, then now you're, you've bolstered the entire industry. So now you're growing the sport because you've dug into someone who can bring more viewers to the sport. So they're, they're probably speculating on the, from the, from that standpoint as well. It's like, okay, Hey, if we get, if we get him here, he's going to bring in, in LA, no less, where there is a large population of uh, Japanese Americans and Japanese immigrants as well. You bring those people into the sport, you bolster it even more. So they're making a bit of a gamble uh, and saying, okay, getting him here is of greater value than getting any other player here, right? Not only is he one of the most popular players in this league, but he also, the other 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 potential that he provides to our, our organization as well, and to all of baseball. So, so I, I think there's arguments to be made, but they're all going to be subjective, right? All, you know, whether or not you know, Mbappe or, or, or Federer or whoever you, you look at, they're all going to be subjective arguments as to why that person is of what value that they've been, that's been placed on, right? It's almost like, the, you, know, go, you know, the price of gold, you know, or the price of, 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 a, of a precious gem or metal. It's, you know, it's based on, well, what, is, what, what do people want to pay for it, right? So right. arguably, Otani is, is valuable as people are going to pay, you know, pay for it, you know, to play the team, so. I think that's the part though that annoys me about the whole the whole payment schedule though, right? Is that yes, like you're completely right, Liam. Like in the market, yeah, it's whatever it's whatever people want to pay, right? So if if someone can put that many butts in that many seats, if if that person can sell that much merch, etc., all the things that they can do to generate revenue uh, for that franchise, like great, like that's fine, that's the market, great. But like to your earlier point about just societal good and utility right like (laughs) what aside from aside from pushing merch for other companies for sponsors right and aside from providing some you know recreation for spectators like what good are they is somebody in that position generating and it's like all right well yes there's plenty of problems and waste and other things that, that can happen with 
any government's taxation, including California's. But like, I think about the the public good that is being effectively undone by having this comp not complicated, but by having this sort of protracted scheme to avoid paying income taxes on that. You know, like in reality, there are so many people who who do so much good that are that are paid on that are on public payrolls. I mean, you think about police, firefighters, teachers, all the way down the line. Uh, that's a lot of money that's going to be going untaxed in the place where it's earned. Yeah. And, you know, look, I mean, yes, you can put yourself in, in, in two different positions, right? You can think about it as if you were that person bringing in that money. I'm not going to say earn, but bringing in that money <laughs> and think like, yeah, you're going to do whatever you can to make sure that you keep as much of it as you can. Okay, great. But like, you're not a person who is earning... 50, 100, even $500,000 a year where you may actually need or want or be able to put all that money to use, mm -hmm. right? At, at 700 million, you could be living off 1% of that and be doing better than almost anybody. You could be totally fine yeah. off a small percentage of that. Um, to, to be going to those sort of lengths to avoid any sort of giving back, any sort of, uh, you know... Yeah civic duty there is that that was the part that kind of in the, in that Instagram reel that you share with us, John, that was the part that struck me was just the, you know, taking 10 years of your life to, to engage in that sort of technically legal, begrudgingly legal tax avoidance. That was the part that kind of, yeah. that got to me. And, and, and I, I would, I would add to that, that Christian, cause I'm glad you brought, brought it back to that point is that, you know, this is what the importance and need of the progressive tax code was, that's right? Because at a, right. at a certain point of income, it just becomes gratuitous and it's not the greater good of the society that we live in. It takes a hit, right? It, I mean, it's yeah. like, I mean, you're, you're taking, like you said, 700, you know, let's, 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 let's use conservatively real numbers. Let's just say 70 million. You know, uh, you know, yeah, you're just, right. That's Thank so you. Insane, right. That's, that's not even, yeah. Like, if you just had $70 million, that's more money than 99.9% .9 of the per people in this country have, right? Mm -hmm. In the world. To pay. The world, yeah. <laughs> the world. So, so to have to ask someone to pay to contribute to the society, to contribute more to the society that they live in, is beyond me. It's like, you should want to, because you know good and doggone well, you wouldn't be exactly. if not exactly. the society that, that provides that opportunity to you. And this so, is I just thought, right? In this capitalism, we've lost this this idea that, oh, well, I've made this money, I've earned this money, it's my money. No, you earned that money because someone else did not. <laughs> Frankly, you well, so not even just because someone else did not, but because you live in a society that already had so many mechanisms in place to even make that possible. You're not living in a state of nature. You're living in the United States of America where there is already – the the shared wealth, the population wealthy enough to afford frivolities like buying overpriced tickets and yeah. merch and <laughs> beers and whatever else. You you live in a place where where there is enough peace and security and stability paid for at public expense that you can go and have a career that is purely based off of fun and not and not just sort of baseline utility. Right? All those things to then not want to, I mean I think about it all the time when when um just thinking about money in general. Like I 
yes, like, yes, more money, more problems. But, like, please give me those problems. I would <laughs> rather make more money and be able to give back more. I'd rather be able to help more. Exactly. Like, why not? And, and before anybody gets really mad about this, we're not talking about, like, Karl Marx versus Ronald Reagan here. We're not talking about any sort of modern. I mean, like, exactly. like what Alim is what Alim is saying here goes back to Thomas Jefferson. <laughs> like, at a certain point, like, yes, go ahead and have your selfish pursuits, but you're not an island. You're not on your own. You're part of a society. Exactly. Well, here's I. I wonder if we haven't certainly in the last century, and I really don't know. I mean, this is you know more of a question and some speculation, but if we haven't spent so much time demonizing taxes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, so I get, you know, and it's, uh, you know, I wonder if we haven't used our history of not wanting to be taxed by the crown and conflated that with, I mean, so many things come back with racism, you know, but, you know, I think yeah. where I'm going with that is like this idea that you, um, that your tax dollars will be going to support, I mean, even now, you know, with, mm-hmm. you know, in the Reagan era, you know, if it's yep. uh, the welfare, welfare queens. queens, yep. You know, and and even mm-hmm. before that, you know, in the 60s, like your tax dollars would be going and even before that, even in Jim Crow, like your mm-hmm. tax dollars would be going to support the undesirable people, the people that you de- determine to be undesirable in our community. You know, so, mm-hmm. you know, the great example yeah. is like, yo, rather than having public pools, you know, and having tax dollars pay with public pools, we'll just pour cement in the pools so black people can't come. Mm-hmm. You know, we have these mixed pools and, you know, now it's all privatized, but it's like the the mm-hmm. developing the muscle and the thought to not want to pay into the public good, even when like that's yeah. what it's set up for. You know, mm-hmm. like I want my taxes to pay for my health care. Mm-hmm. You know, like if my yeah. taxes and my tax dollars aren't going into a public good, then then the question is like, why am I paying taxes? And, well, I and think- that's the whole thing. Yes. And like not to interrupt you, but like I just you know, there's there were so many things that I've seen recently where one of them was like, why do Europeans, I mean, people gripe, but not gripe about taxes the way that Americans do. And it's like, well, because you can see all around you where the money's going. In this country, you can't. Like, we pay the taxes, and then what do we get back? Do we have health care? No. Mm-hmm. Our roads are shit. They haven't been updated since our grandparents. You know, like, all these things down the line. Like, with my local taxes... In this county in Maryland, I don't ever complain because I pay them as part of my paying the mortgage and everything else for my house. And I don't think about anything, not trash, not recycling, not compost, not my kid's school, nothing. It's done because I already paid for it. That's why I don't complain. On a national level, though, we don't have that. The money gets taken in and it goes to foreign wars it goes to tax cuts for oil corporations it goes for subsidizing oil corporations all this crap that nobody needs and nobody benefits from like demonstrably do not benefit from so to your point john like yeah it's that's (laughs) that's the thing is it's we don't it's it's this this underappreciation of of the common good yeah and it's interesting i mean we've talked about this before and if i were to run for office it would absolutely be on that. You know, we've mentioned yeah. that phrase before, like taxes paying to the common good. And yeah. and I think the state analogy, you know, or excuse me, the state and, and or the county analogy makes sense. I mean, even yeah. where we live here, you know, I mean, like Aline lives down the road, like it's gorgeous. Like, you know, like mm-hmm. it's clear that there's a lot of thought and intentionality that go into how yes. our taxes and you can see like the, you know, the progress. You know, yep. like, and it's everything from the accommodations at our kids' schools, you know, to the public spaces here, you know, to the in investment, the intelligent investment of in the infrastructure, mm-hmm. you know, like, like that actually feels like good. 
It's like, you know, mm -hmm. that's what it's about, you know, but taxes being kind of the front line of a culture war is problematic, yes. mm -hmm. you know, and you could tell that, you know, the great test cases, you know, like people want Obamacare taken away, but they don't want the Affordable Care Act taken away <laughs> exactly. for, obvi for obvious exactly. reasons, for obvious like, reasons, <laughs> like this is what taxes are set up to do, you know, like, well, yeah, I mean, I, I saw just just the other day on Instagram or Facebook, one of the, the short video clips, one of the shorts, and um, it was taken from a, a debate on a, a YouTube channel or, or a podcast or whatever between, I don't want to say it was Charlie Kirk, it was one of those right-wing, young, white male, virgin a-holes uh, who was was debating someone who was a lefty, this woman who was talking about how, how great it is that you know other countries have better healthcare and taxpayer funded things. And he's like, okay, give me some examples. And she listed off the typical, the usual suspects, right? The Scandinavian countries. And he turns the tables. She wasn't prepared. And he says, oh, okay. So to name the places that have it better off, you're talking about places that are even whiter than here. You're naming places that are so white and they have it the best because it's all white people. And she wasn't prepared for that. And then therefore he had a mic drop moment that she couldn't, she couldn't come back from. And I, I was so annoyed that they, whoever organized this debate had these two people didn't have somebody better prepared to be against this guy. Because in reality, especially to your point, John, about ever since the 60s and the Great Society, and then, of course, uh, Reagan, who was a raging racist, even though he, he used coded language instead of overt racist uh, terms – that has always been the deal, right? It is it that that's how we had the New Deal, but we didn't get the Great Society. Is oh, okay. So like, if it's just helping out the poor white farmer with subsidies, which we still have eighty years later, that's fine. That's that's totally fine. If it's helping out the single black mom, well, then you are one, you are subsidizing bad behavior, and two, you are uh, you are giving money that is yours to an undeserving and pathologized underclass. And the reason why you have in places like Denmark, these sort of better social safety nets isn't because of any kind of cultural superiority. Studies have shown it's actually because of that homogeneity. There is that social cohesion and trust across lines. There, there aren't those lines that we have to cross in the, in the United States. And politicians, particularly on the right for generations now, have been very adept at, at coercing and, and persuading white Americans, including low-income white Americans who would absolutely benefit from a, a stronger and more caring social safety system, uh, persuade them to vote against their own interests and in their minds demonize anything that would actually benefit them as well because it would benefit them while also benefiting people who don't look like them. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's that's the great irony. Like, it, to me, it's not even a capitalism thing. Like, it's I've not. Got, I've got my own issues about capital. It's pure gaslighting and misinformation it is you know, like yep. this is this it's not is about what, capitalism yep right you know like in this one case and i think capitalism you know the a capitalistic structure is fuel for it but it's not it's not the it's not the uh it's not the it's not the starting point well i, I yeah you know, when i when i when i talk about it being uh capitalism being a, a part of the root of this is that what i see is that it's it's people misconstrue or misunderstand the the that we're not a pure capitalism as a society and and as conceived, no. it would have worked you know it, you know it would work i guess in that you have you know the right redistribution which has become a bad word but you have the right distribution 
of of mm. the, the nation's wealth. But the problem is, is that when you look at a, a free, unregulated market, that that's what certain people are seeing as as what the capitalism is intended to be. But it, it that would consume itself. That, that I've always made this point. Mm-hmm. That would yeah. ultimately it, it self destructs. It cannot work, right? So that's yeah. why we had what we have, which is a, a tax, and we had significant taxes on the higher income to make sure that everything kept working, that the cycle kept functioning. You know, people could exit mm-hmm. and enter the upper class economic classes, right? That's you know, but but capitalism is designed so that people in the upper economic classes, you know, they're going to try to their very hardest never to leave that, right? And if they're right. leaving that, then that means somebody no one else can enter it, right? So that that yeah. you know, that's the design. Everybody's trying their best to ensure that their wealth stays there and grows, right? You know, mm-hmm. that sounds good until you think about well, what does that mean? <laughs> that means that no one else right. can get me, right? So it's just like no one else can enter into that class. So that's why I, I mentioned it, but but it but it is perverted by those those social dynamics that you guys just described. Is that it's like okay, well, hey, uh, we need to make sure that this that, that, that there's a permanent underclass here that doesn't become up. Mm-hmm. So that it, it, so Except, look, yeah. So uh, y- y'all black folks, you know, look, you're, y'all started in slavery there, so we'll just keep y'all down there. That's easy enough, you know. Anybody else will try to put you in that bin as well. We'll let a few up every now and then, but you know. And again, I'm not speaking as though mm-hmm. there's one entity or the man doing this is this the point is, is that this is how it works when you when you when you fear for your own position in society being taken away right then it's like okay well, we no, absolutely maintain the power structure that we have uh so hey i'm going to vote for this i'm going to say reduce that and you know you know and and you misunderstand you start voting against your own interests when you don't understand that you're in the same boat as those other people you know the other mm-hmm. so to speak oh but but yeah but 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 Working and and low income white people have never felt as though they're they're in the same boat. Yeah, that's. I mean, the, I mean, for, even before the revolution, right? Like, if you go back to colonial Virginia, right? Like, people who were indentured servants, enslaved Africans, indentured and enslaved and and dispossessed Native Americans. If you're all out there slogging through the crap together, and you see the one guy in the big house, what's the natural human response? You're all going to get together and be like, screw this guy. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, that's like, that's that. And, and like, hence the birth of racism, basically. Right. I mean, this is not new at all. But what's depressing is just um, the way it has been through so many different media, through coded language and pop culture and politics and all these different ways. It has poisoned the minds of people where they they really cannot see at all how they are really just shooting themselves in the foot and harming themselves um just just by by feeding into into that that racism mm-hmm. well uh i like Aleem, what you said earlier um i think a pure capitalist well you said a couple of things but a pure free market society would it certainly would cannibalize us but i think also yeah, it would cannibalize us up, but I think it would also cannibalize us. Mm. You know, like, mm-hmm. you know, if you have, yeah. you know, people glorify this limited regulation, but, you know, at that same point, then you also have to be willing to accept that you could create a permanent, um, it, it can create the same kind of structure that you have, that we, as a country, you know, pitch our hat like, hey, we broke free from the British. You know, yeah. but the the problem with that 
is that we didn't like being taxed by the crown. That's something very different than being taxed by the government. Like the crown seemed irrational. Mm-hmm. Like the crown was doing nothing other than ba- literally getting royalties from mm-hmm. everyone that was privileged Hence to the live. Term. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> literally yeah. getting royalties. Yeah. You know, in this case, you know, the idea that we would be on one hand against that, but at the same time, look for ways to make it so that wealthier folks don't have to pay taxes and ostensibly mm-hmm. can just take more and more. And it, it feels different because the real estate is different. You know, like you mm-hmm. don't need a big piece of land to have that same kind of control over people's lives. Yeah. You know, so it's like, you know, if you controlled, like I was just reading the other day that Apple has uh, a higher valuation. They're close to having the same valuation as the GDP of France. <laughs> like if you think about that, like they were valued at somewhere like I think it's like 3.1 trillion or 3.2 trillion <laughs> and France, you know, somewhere around the 3.2, 3.3, you know, and obviously the value can go up and down in the company, whatever, you know, but if you think about it like that, you know, like you have the cons- the so much wealth concentrated in one entity that is in a country that occupies so much of our day-to-day real estate, it mm-hmm. feels like, okay, well, are we creating um, a kind of society where you do have people that just own and dominate? Because rather than mm-hmm. them being regulated by the government, you know, whether it's through taxes or otherwise, you know, now we're, we have a privity of contract with Apple or with Samsung. I mean, in this case, you know, I've got, you know, a whole bunch of Apple stuff and that, that defines the conduct and the ownership rather than anything else. You know, like they own your, they literally own anything that you store on their drives. You know, they, so they own your information. And mm-hmm. and I'm not saying that in a conspiratorial way. It's just, if you read your agreement, it's, it's in the contract, like yeah. it's in the contract. <laughs> yeah. You know, like, yeah, that's their stuff. Like the stuff, those pictures you're taking, that's their stuff. <laughs> if you allow it, you know, so, and, so it, it just, it's like, you can talk about voting against your own interests, you know, like when you support you know, limited taxes on big companies, you're not, one, you're not making an investment into, into our economy, you know, because a company is going to right. look to do things that are going to, in a way that are going to max it, in today's company. They're going to, it is good business sense to do things in a way that are going to maximize your margin, maximize your profit. Like right. that is the ethos. Like it's basic, but it, it's the truism. Right. You know, and if, if that is the case, then of course you're going to want lower taxes you're going to want to have lower overhead. You're going to do anything you can to eliminate that overhead and people vote for it, which means you're going to lose jobs and there's going to be less money in the economy because it's going other places and or just going in someone's pocket. Or just sitting or just right. sitting. Like, that's the point. It, it doesn't – and that's the thing about like the – when we talk about social good, it isn't like just about good as in like feel good, do good, like making parks in low-income neighborhoods or like handouts for – like, no, mm. any good whatsoever, even in the private sector, if too much wealth gets concentrated, there reaches a certain point at which it just stagnates. It is not in the economy anymore. It is just sitting in a pile a la Scrooge McDuck. I mean, like, it really isn't. It's not actually serving the purpose of money anymore. And that's what people don't get. And I want to take a step back, too, and just clarify something. I am not laying the blame at the feet of people who vote a certain way or of a certain social class or whatever and saying, well, they vote against their own. They do. But the point is, it's not that they are the ones in charge. It's that there are people who are um, in those giant corporations 
or or in our political in our public life who have been make it just beating that drum for generations now and have convinced people they are the ones who are responsible for that it, it is it is taking away the one piece of power the one thing that working and middle class people have as a countervailing interest to that huge amount of power of money which is their vote and using it to to rather than hold those the people in power to account just completely fawn over them and and give them whatever they want that that's the real issue there is that if 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 people were voting for their own interests then they might get what they need but if they're being pushed and persuaded over generations to believe an entire false reality and that's what we get the vote is the one thing that people who even have zero money at all have to hold money and power to account all right so speaking of 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 gaslighting and politicians doing this if i if i could <laughs> transition us to to some rapid fire this wasn't all right let's list, do but, it but i gotta ask just quick reaction on yeah. day one is trump a dictator if he wins <laughs> yes yes ah yes and 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 david Frum made this point recently as well uh and th this is the upside down world we live in right like i was the young person 20 years ago who was blowing you know ready to have a freaking aneurysm over what the bush administration was doing and yet here i am looking at people like david Frum and bill crystal being like yeah what they said <laughs> they're they're reasonable uh but but it's true though i mean his point was not only would he be a dictator, but he would be he would be a criminal yet another time all over again on minute one because he would be perjuring himself in his oath of office. If he if he is planning to be a dictator and he plans to he swears to defend the Constitution of the United States, which he has no intention of doing, he is perjuring himself right there in front of the chief justice. So he's instantaneously already a criminal again. Yes, he would be a dictator on day one. And there's no such thing as a dictator who's going to relinquish the, the, the reins of power on day two. It doesn't exist. So I, I, just real quick, you know, I, I agree with you, Christian. I think that you said it, said it very eloquently. But I think part of the problem is that we, I don't know whether it's as valuable to identify him as a dictator as it is to identify the ignorance that put him in that position. And, and mm. I, I'm, I, what bothers me so much about it is how ineffective we are at explaining to people how obvious it is how bad he is like it, there's there's right. no i can't even understand why any human being in this country would want him in a leadership role in anything at this point it, it's so obvious that he's 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 just all wrong like in every way shape and form like it's 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 frightening to me that you still have people and and, and at this point I, you know you know I get, I get a little bit exasperated about this, but it's like, you know, it, it bothers it bothers me more the people who who are who are going to, you know, uh, who who are who are understand the plight of certain individuals, and then there's people who who want bad things to, happen. you know, there's the white supremacists, you know, there's the Klan, there's, there's all these people. You mm -hmm. understand why they're voting for it, mm -hmm. but then you look at the other people who voted for it, and you juxtapose those people together. And it's like, how can they not look at each other and one see like I'm aligned with you, like. You're not thinking, right? So anyway, let me let me let me let you get to the rapid fire shot. Yeah. All right. So let let me. I'm gonna <laughs> keep it moving. Uh, speaking of things that are unimaginable, the GOP's evidence-free impeachment inquiry of Biden. Any reactions to that? 
I I was asked to react to that, and I'm only bringing this up because you totally put me on blast last time, John, about me doing commentary. But uh, I was asked to do that at a moment's notice the other day uh, on French TV, and I, I did it. I went on and did it, but I was you know on I was texting with them beforehand. Like I I'm not honestly sure what you want me to say. Well, can you explain the absurdity of it? I'm like, no, I can talk about it, but like, I'm like, you have to understand. The people in that party, in Congress, themselves, after they voted, got in front of American TV cameras and said, like, well, we'll, we'll see what happens. We'll, we'll just see where the evidence is. But, but you already voted to, yeah, but we have to inquire to see. What, but that's not how evidence works. <laughs> I mean, it's, here, here's the thing. It has nothing to do with the law. It's not a legal proceeding. And it's, it's uh even though an impeachment is arguably political to begin with, this is purely for the cameras. This is, this is, it's, what's that? Pure theater. Right. I was going to say, it's not even politics in the pure sense. It's political theater, right? And the point of it is not to actually impeach the president. It's to try to make this, this false equivalence, make this, this BS scorecard, wherein it's like, okay, well, Trump's impeached, but so is this guy. So it's all the same. It's, the scary thing is, because we we can't get down this whole rabbit hole but i'll just put it out there really quickly the scary thing is is that it's been what now we're going on seven years of the gop using and parroting even unconsciously sometimes classic soviet classic russian tactics of misinformation and manipulation it's whataboutism it's it's pure that the only point of this it is well you know Trump did all this, but what about Biden? The Hunter laptop BS, the impeachment BS, the the returning a few thousand dollars to pay for a used Ford truck when he was getting out of rehab. All of it is just what about is just what about Biden? Well, my my one final thought on that before we move on. Um, the, what about Aleem? You, you got to get his hot take. No, no, you said it all, Kristen. I, <laughs> pointless. Go ahead, John. I I agree. I agree. <laughs> uh, it, where. The GOP is not clever is that th this is <laughs> cyclical, right? Right. You know, so, you know, the the issue, you know, every time they're afraid of a Democrat taking office, yeah. like deathly afraid, it's the same thing. You know, yeah. so I was listening to, you know, our friends on Pod Save, the, uh, Pod Save America, yeah. you know, talk about the same topic. Um, and they were saying that, you know, this was the same strategy with Bill Clinton and White mm -hmm. and Whitewater. You know, like yeah, white right. water, you know, turned out to be like there was there was nothing doing. So it's like, you know, we didn't find evidence of the crime that we wanted there. So let's now move right. to something completely different. And because Bill right. Clinton had limited self-control, obviously, <laughs> you know, he gave them what it seemed to be politically the right thing. And then it turned out to backfire against them. Fast forward 10 years to his wife um, and somehow you get from. Uh, a CIA lack of information sharing, which at the time they, they couldn't verify in, you know, in a way, you mm -hmm. know, having something, you know, to do with, again, with the CAA to this being a failure of the state department. And then, mm -hmm. and then Benghazi turned into Hillary Clinton's, uh, <laughs> Hillary Clinton's laptop, like, right. And her emails. And, and then when she sat on, I've never seen anything like it. She sits on trial for 12 hours in front mm -hmm. of Congress with no evidence and outlasts all of them. It's like, but mm -hmm. the point wasn't to be right. The point isn't to let's let is let's strengthen our 
our democracy and strengthen our republic by going through this process. It's like, how can we tarnish her enough and create enough doubt so that people will vote yep. for our guy and not the other guy? So mm-hmm. for the Democrats in this election, you know, be really, really careful about how you step because the goal isn't, you know, to the goal isn't to prove a matter of fact. The goal is to how can we tarnish this person just enough yeah. to make them seem like her? And it's like you need a lot of people. I mean, like you can look at the numbers. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, no, they don't want to play chess. They want to just come up here and just knock the whole board over. Yeah. Right. Yeah. All right. Final, final piece here. Uh, I'll maybe toss this to you because I'm, I'm the least read up on this, but uh, uh, Christian, you, you want to talk about the Israel uh, bill, excuse me, Joe Biden. She's Bill Clinton. Yeah. <laughs> Joe Biden's unimaginable pivot on what's happening in Israel. Well, it just it's interesting to me because and this is what I wanted to put to you guys, because you you both had had some some takes a couple of episodes ago about about his position, uh, which obviously none of us were a fan of. But so it, it's been the policy of every president of both both parties since the beginning to be pro-Israel no matter what. And it, it's one thing to be. A, a good, steadfast ally. We would expect that of any American president towards Canada, the UK, Israel, several other countries, right? But in the case of Israel, it had gotten to the point in the, in this conflict where, yes, there was steadfast support, emergency aid, all the things you'd expect us to do for an ally after Hamas's disgusting and horrific attacks on October 7th of this past year, of this current year. But since then, Israel has not just retaliated. They have raised something like, I, I want to say 20%, one-fifth of the buildings in Gaza. Uh, the, the civilian death toll is is incalculable. It is is beyond any expectations. Uh, and in the beginning, there was very much this, what I thought was a, a senseless split between people in public opinion in our country, where it was, you had a lot of young people, a lot of people of color looking at the Biden administration and any of its defenders as okay boomer basically like okay boomer you're just towing the neocon or neolib line and and giving full support to Israel no matter what is actually happening no matter what we see with our own eyes and then the defenders looking back at people of color and young people and saying well you're uninformed you get your news from TikTok you're young you're stupid you don't get it and you're pro Hamas that didn't serve anybody but what happened suddenly last week was President Biden actually came out and publicly, not behind closed doors to Netanyahu, but publicly asked Israel to temper their response and basically, you know, made a push for accountability and 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 uh, moderation in Israel's offensive in Gaza. So with that stage kind of being set, I didn't ever think I would see that sort of. I don't know, middle ground be expressed from from the president's podium like that. What, what was your take? Well, um, you know, my phone is probably going to die here in a minute, but I just, I'll just quickly jump. Okay, we'll we'll wrap. We'll wrap. <laughs> no, I, I appreciate. I think. I think. Uh, you, I appreciate your view on that, and 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 I think, uh, for me, it was inevitable. That oh. would be Aleem's phone. That would be Aleem's phone dying. I think. I think it's time to wrap up this episode. I don't know. <laughs> uh, well, if I could pick up where he left off, I think he's right. Please, it, please. It, it, was, it was inevitable. I mean, yeah. I think the politics in this country and the way that they've shifted even in the last four to five years, like it was inevitable yeah. that you get to this. I don't think it was a sustainable position for the president to maintain uh, in yeah. the in the obvious face of um, in, in, in the in the obvious face of just kind of the mounting evidence that 
like this is far beyond, you know, a counteroffensive to, you know, shore up Israel's defenses. Like this is yeah. a not so naked opportunity for them. Not so, you know, not so, you know, carefully covered opportunity for the Israeli government to. Well, let's, let's, let's be clear. Netanyahu's government. There's a lot of Israelis who've been against this. It's Netanyahu's the. 100%. And, and I'm, yeah. I was trying to, you know, draw that it wasn't the Israelis. It's just like, yeah. you know, no different than you know, the Trump administration and kids in cages. Right. You know, right. it's just like, there's right. clearly a lot of people that think that that is for so many different and accurate reasons. That is a horrific thing to do. Um, but I think, yeah, you know, the president, you know, he's had to shift his policy. And I think I don't like the fact that he, you know, you kind of have to play politics to do it, to get there, you yeah. know, but it's clear that this is crossed over into something. And like, look, even if you look at the way that world news is covering what's happening, like the yeah. language the language that people are using to cover this has shifted a lot. You know, like mm -hmm. Al Jazeera on one extreme, perhaps is calling it a genocide. They're not even hiding it. You mm -hmm. know, it's just like, you know, this is where it is. And then it, it's again, Israel doesn't seem poised to stop at all. And like, you just no. need to get the cameras in there, you know, and it's beyond just an attack, you know, like this is, it seems to me like it's setting up to be kind of a systemic breakdown in of any way possible for the Palestinians to be able to support Gaza and to support themselves and to exist. And I think that's the challenge. Yeah. And I think that's the reality that the president is, has to embrace, you know, because, yeah. and even if my analysis is wrong, the sense that I get from younger voters is like, look, you know, we support you on Ukraine because we recognize what Russia did. You know, like voters yeah. are smart enough to say like what Russia is doing is the kinds of thing as a society that we're moving away from, like this really imperialistic, you know, control over land and resources, you know? Right. And, you know, you, I think people are looking at Israel the same way. Like, you know, no one's saying you don't need to defend yourself, but why are you doing anything else? Like, right. uh, where, where does the defense stop? You know, because the right. Palestinians are clearly, um, in terms of resources, not in the same universe as mm -hmm. the Israeli, uh, the Israeli, the, the country of Israel. So I think the president has to just say, you know, like, He's got to take a stance and it's difficult because I don't know if a president has had to take this kind of truly radical stance as it pertains to the politics of Israel in a long time. And I don't, you know, President no. Trump or ever, you know, or ever. Yeah. Like, you know, Trump yeah. moving the embassy to Israel, I mean, to uh, to Jerusalem, like that right. wasn't a big philosophical thing. I mean, that was obviously a political stunt, but that wasn't, you know, he there was there was no departure from the party line, you know, right. strengthening that. So, yeah, I, yeah. like, look you know, the president had to do this one. Like this is, yeah. you know, he has to. And for both I, I think political it's weird, and moral though, reasons. It, yeah, no, yeah, both, right. But I, it just, it's weird to think, though, that what what he said from the podium this past week really was, was by definition, moderate. And it, it's just, it's crazy to think that we have to even discuss it. I mean, it, it was really not, you know, we're switching sides. It wasn't, we're even going to give a dollar to the, it was just like, hey, can we just, take it easy i mean like that was the the fact that the fact that it even just that that moment of moderation was so newsworthy i think speaks volumes to um how much things have shifted and you know it's it's very disappointing to me that uh adults still have such a hard time realizing that two very bad things can be true at the same time and that two wrongs don't make a right it's it's uh you know 
October 7th never should have happened, obviously. Then again, we find out that Bibi Netanyahu's government sat on that and then didn't respond for half a day. Um, You know, at the same time, um, the, you know, three-year-olds who are getting blown up or, you know, seeing their families destroyed in front of them in Gaza uh, didn't vote for Hamas in 2007 before they were born. Two awful things are existing in the same time uh and and the two wrongs do not make a right it's it's disappointing that um there are so many people who want to dig their heels in uh for one flag or another for one religion or another for one ethnic group or another <clears throat> even if they belong to neither um in this country uh and there doesn't seem to be really a, a, an adequate concern shared for innocent civilians, especially children, regardless of ethnicity, territory, religion. Well, on that note, <laughs> on that cheery note, I'm back. you're back. Is this thing on? You're back as we're wrapping. <laughs> Aleem, I answered for you. I answered for you. You're good. Oh. You're, oh, oh. Yeah. you're, you're duly authorized you're representative. <laughs> I mean, just just real quick summary. All I was saying was that I feel like it's, it was inevitable that it, it, at some point the 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 violence and the the egregious you know acts that were happening yeah. had to be he, he had to address it. It's too much. Couldn't just. But I I feel like honestly he may have taken a little bit too long politically from the political standpoint, yeah. aside from the death toll so to speak. But he had to speak. Uh, I'm concerned as to what this will mean for the erosion or the continued erosion of his support among the base yeah. that he relies upon for the election, um, which really is what makes this all frightening uh, from a, from a yeah. domestic politics standpoint, aside from, you know, the, the violent, you know, regional concern. Um, but, you know, something we got, I mean, people have to be strategic. People like you, Christian, <laughs> we're thinking strategy on how to Not me. How to have this conversation. <laughs> Uh, not me, but thank it's you. Gonna, it's going to take a really um, coordinated and thoughtful coalition. Like it yeah. can't just be, you know, it can't just be the Democrats. I mean, it's definitely going to take, yeah. you know, some well-wishing Republicans, some independents, you know, some third party, and it's going to take a really. It, it needs to have. There needs to be a cogent thesis. Like I think right now, if, if uh, Joe Biden were to come and ask me, like John, what do you need to do? It's like you got to have a cogent, a cogent moral thesis. You need to have a cogent economic thesis, and the two can overlap. You know, because you know, like you, you know what you're doing. Yeah. Like from a, mm-hmm. like you know, how to run a country thing. Like he knows what he's doing, but mm-hmm. it is not in this generation of of voters that are you know our age and younger. Like you got access to too much information. And or disinformation, you know, so party yeah, has both. to be really clear. It has to like if there's a certain group of Republicans that aren't going to play nice with you, that doesn't mean that you still can't be, you know, Uncle Joe and build those coalitions. You just got to build a different ones. And if that's a part of your bag, yeah. then do it. And I hate to break it to you, John, but the the youngest of voters in this next election are less than half our age. We're, we're not part of that group anymore. I'm sorry. <laughs> uh, and that's that's fine. You know, I think. <laughs> I think my point remains the same. Like <laughs> no, I, I know, know. John Borden. <laughs> <laughs> All right, gentlemen. Well, on that note, <laughs> uh, it's 
been a pleasure. Thank you both, as always. Yep. Merry Christmas. Right, Happy New Year. Merry Christmas. Happy New Year. We will be off yeah. and we will reconvene for our next episode after the holidays. Is Hanukkah over, by the way? Is, can I still say Happy Hanukkah? Was it last night? Was the, was the I think it was. It might have, Well, by the time this goes live on the web, it'll be a yeah. couple days over. But why not Happy Hanukkah? Let's do it yeah. all together. Shout out, shout out to Hanukkah. Oh, all right, all right, guys. Hanukkah. See ya. Happy Hanukkah. <laughs> all right, bye.